0: Amen. Let's jump into the Word. We're going to pick up uh, in the book of Hebrews uh, in chapter 11, and uh, we'll jump into this verse in just a moment. We're going to be in verses uh, uh, 8 through 10 in chapter 11, and I want to talk to you about this topic. Um, I've, I've entitled this message, Moving Forward. In a certain uncertainty. I don't know if you've ever heard of this phrase or thought of life in this way, but there are many times in life, my life, your life, or all of us, where you are simultaneously living in a certain uncertainty, right? There are things you are certain of, while at the exact same time you are very uncertain of of other things as well, right? Um, uh, I am certain um, that uh, certain movies, if we have family movie night, I am certain there are certain movies and certain scenes within certain movies that I will cry because it's just what I do. It's not even movies that make sense. I'm just going to confess to you right now, I cried during Creed and Creed Two and Creed Three—that makes no sense whatsoever. But you know, I'm uncertain as to why. But this happens, right? You know, to me all the time. Um, uh, my wife and I had an experience that would kind of, you know, illustrate this this idea of. Certain uncertainty. Our first year of marriage, we're living in Pittsburgh, and we're right down on the north side. If you know anything about the city, we're kind of in one of the urban areas, and we have this whole second floor apartment. And um, so it's first year of marriage, and uh, and I, I'm she's on her side of the bed. I, she just kind of called that. I don't, do, do women have like rights to call that? I think they do. Like they get married and they just say that's my side of the bed. And I, I I was smart enough at this point in my life to just say, you know what, baby, I'm just happy to have a woman in my bed. You can have whatever side you want. Okay. And, um, but I wake up in the middle of the night and she's over there and this is what it sounds, this is what I hear. She's over there and I hear her and she's, she's like, Jesus, 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 She's whispering, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm like, I'm like, what is going on? Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm waking up middle of the night. And, um, my first thought, I'm thinking this woman that I married is so spiritual. She prays in her sleep. And then I'm like, I don't know if I can live up to this expectation, like this is, this is a lot of pressure, right? But then I realized, probably just after a couple seconds, I realized that like she's, she's afraid, like something's going on and she's like afraid. And so I just kind of like roll my head over and I just, I'm just i like, hey baby, what's going on? You all right, everything okay, you okay? And she whispers at me, she whispers back and she's like, there's a man, there's a man, there's a man in the room, there's a man in the room. And I'm, 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 I'm a newlywed, it's the middle of the night, I'm just waking up she just said, there's a man in the room, this is my response. I'm like, I know baby. I'm right here. Since <laughs> she whispers shouts at me, which I think is like a god-given gift that every woman has, right? She whispers shouts at me and she's like, "No, there's another man in the room." Now I'm, now I'm awake. I'm certain I'm awake, and I'm certain that she just said there's another man in the room, but I am uncertain what I'm going to do in this moment, and I would love to tell you that I'm, because like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, I got to be the man and do something about the other man in the room right now, right? And I, I would love to tell you I jumped out of bed, and I'm like, karate kid, and let's go, and I, I'm like, I grab the sheets, and I put them over my head. I'm like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> she now she's awake right i'm over here jesus jesus she's looking at me she's like what are you doing i'm like there's a man there's a man there's a man in the room she says this she's like apparently there's not even a man in the room (laughs) shots just my i mean come on i'm just i'm thinking my good like i am certain and uncertain at the exact same time right um you probably even in our faith this 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 tension exists even in our faith. Let me, let me just kind of point this out. Okay, we are certain that Jesus is going to return one day, but we are uncertain when that day will be. You know what I'm saying? Okay, we are certain that God has spoken to us in his word, but sometimes we read it and we are very uncertain what, <laughs> what it actually means or how to interpret or apply. Correct? Right? Uh, in your own personal life, you you might be... Certain that God has spoken to you about your past or your present or your future. You're certain, I know God has spoken to me, but, but you are uncertain as to his timing, right? Or, or sometimes you find yourself even in a moment of, man, I know God spoke to me, but man, I'm, un, I'm uncertain like what the next step is. Like I'm not even exactly sure where to go next. When you experience um, pain or heartache or loss or grief in life, right? You are certain of your current experiences, right, yet at the same time you are also certain that God has a plan and a hope for you, yet you are uncertain how you're going to make it through this moment. Anybody with me? Right? So we live in this tension of certain uncertainty. And So here's what I want to do. I want to draw some, some thoughts from God's word today from the life of Abraham and his wife Sarah. As they live in what we would call a certain uncertainty. And how do we move forward in these moments where we feel like, man, I'm just kind of like uncertain what to do. I don't know exactly what's happening here. So so let's go to the text here. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in verses eight through ten to start. Um, you can turn there in your Bible. You, you got your device. It's also going to go on the screen for us, right? All right. So, so put that those first couple of verses on the screen for me, if you could. Hebrews chapter eleven, right? I like to I like to read scripture uh, from the screen, fill in the blank style. Uh, I think preaching should be participatory, right? Not a one-way uh, conversation. So that means, as I'm reading this verse, any word that I don't say on the screen, that's your opportunity to, to shout it out and say it nice and loudly. Everybody with me? Sam, with you? Okay, here we go. Okay, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a, you got it. Oh, you're good. You guys are good. Okay, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and. Even though he did not where he was going. Verse number 9. Let's, let's, let's keep on reading together here. All right. Verse number 9. By he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in... Some of you didn't want to say that word. Like You're just like, you don't like camping, right? Okay, that's okay. As did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. One last verse and then we'll pause for now. Verse number 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is? Okay, all right. So here's, here's, here we are. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. If you know um, the context of this passage of Scripture, then you understand that Hebrews 11 is what we would often refer to as the, the hall of faith right when you read all of Hebrews 11 it's just story after story of incredible men and women of God from the Bible and the author of Hebrews is talking about their great faith and so they've made it into the hall of faith so to speak but the story of, of Abraham actually happens all the way back in the book of Genesis. And we'll go back there in just, in just a couple minutes. But it goes all the way back in the book of Genesis. It picks up right around Genesis 12. And it goes chapters 12 all the way through right around 17, 18 and beyond. Right, right, And so the writer of Hebrews is talking about what happened thousands of years prior to this moment right here. And he describes a scenario where Abraham and Sarah hear from God that they need to move. All right, let me give you the context here, right? This is what we understand about Abraham and Sarah. They are, at the time in which God speaks to them, they're living in a place called Ur of Chaldees, right? It's no longer a city that's in existence, but in its heyday, in antiquity, historically speaking, Chaldees was the place that everyone wanted to go to. Chaldees was the place everyone wanted to live. Chaldees was not the place that you moved away from. It was a place that you moved Two. It was goals, you want to live here. And Abraham and his wife Sarah are roughly about 75 years old when this moment in history is spelled out in, in the scripture. So Abraham being 75, living in Caldees, says to us, he's kind of got it made. Right, I mean, it's like its goals, its establishment, it's it's a house, it's wealth, um, it, it's it's the accumulation of of possessions, and and, and in this moment in cultural uh, antiquity, it, it's 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 cattle and sheep and great herds and lots of men and women and servants working for you and on your team, and so everything in life is exactly as they had planned it to be. They're living in counties where everyone wanted to be. Everything is good, and then when you go to the text, it says that he was called to go to a place where he did not know. Uh, okay, I want you to just kind of run the scenario in your mind real quick. Abraham, um, whose actual name is Abram at this point, we'll talk about that in a moment, but the writer refers to him as his changed name. We'll explain that in a moment, but, but Abraham has a visit. He gets a visit from God, or an angel of God, who comes to him and says, hey, pack your bags. And you're gonna move, Uh, and so Abram decides. I gotta sit down. I gotta talk with my wife about this. And so he sits down and has a conversation with his wife. Okay, just imagine this conversation real quick. Um, Hey, baby. So I've been thinking about some things, and and I felt like God spoke to us, and uh, I think that it's time we gotta move. We gotta pack our bags, and we gotta move. We gotta move. Now, Sarah, being just the good, faithful, supportive wife, her response would be, "Okay." And what would her very first question be? where are we going? Right? I mean, this is logical. This makes sense. Right. Right. And so, so she's like, okay, that's fine. I I mean, I I wasn't looking for that, but okay. All right. We'll pack it up. Where are we going to go? And, and at this moment, Abraham's probably like, okay, well, see, like, so that's the thing actually. Um, so, um, yeah, I didn't really get an answer for that part right i just i just know that we're going to pack it up and so you know i got the u-haul truck is is on reserve and i bought some boxes and i went to the grocery store and got all the egg cartons cuz that's what you need right and 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 like i'm ready to pack but i don't really know where we're going to go and if you're a good wife like sarah your response is like well honey if you don't know where we're going to go then how will we know when we get there <laughs> right? okay so this is classic living in certain uncertainty Abraham is certain God has spoken to him, yet he is uncertain as to the direction or the timing or the location of what has been said. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever lived in a season of your life where, like, I know God spoke to me. I, just, I know we're going somewhere. I just don't know where we're going. How do you move forward in these moments? Here's a here's, here's little principle number one. Get ready to take some notes, right? I think that note-takers in church are history makers, right? So get ready to take a couple notes here. Here's number one. If you're going to move forward in certain... Obey forward with obedience over understanding. Obedience over understanding. It's, it's, it's the moment I choose obedience versus choosing obedience that only comes after I have full understanding. This is, this is hard for us, isn't it? Like, this is challenging. Because if you're like me, you're like, I, in my heart, like, I want to do what God wants me to do. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I want to, like, obey him, but I, but I also have an equal desire to understand at the same time. Uh, mo- most of us, if we could have the kind of relationship with God that we would like, it, it would be, it w- the conversation would sound something like this. Okay, God, listen, I want to do your will, and I want to do what you want me to do, and so, so, God, if you could just, like, spell out for me in step-by-step detail... What the next like year or five or or like for the rest of my life actually would be great. Now that I'm thinking of it, like just just give me step by step, every little nuance, every little detail. Put some dates in there and maybe some names, especially if you're single. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, right. Just just walk and and just if you could just email that to me and I'll read over it. I'll even pray through it. And I, I reserve the right to kind of, um, you know, make some you know, like, uh, edits here and there, but, if, but eventually I'll sign off on it and I'll send it back to you. How many of you are like, would be, I'd like that actually. And, and really what's serving God is, it's more the exact opposite. It's, it's more God sliding a blank sheet of paper across the table and saying, here's the contract for your life, just go ahead and sign it with no information, with no detail. With no or little answers to your questions, just go ahead and assign it. Just simply say yes to obedience over understanding. This, uh, we, don't, we don't really like living this way, do we? But, but this is what Abraham and Sarah have to do. right? They, they, they have to basically say, God says, leave your country. There's, um, there's actually a pattern here in the way God often speaks to us. God is, in these moments in our life, God is specific yet vague at the same time. What, what did he say to Abraham? He says this. He says, leave your country. That's specific. Leave your people. That's specific. This is all from Genesis now. Leave your father's household. That's very specific. Go to a land that I'll show you. That's very vague. What, what this actually shows us is that oftentimes when God is, is seeking to give direction to your life and my life, he speaks um, never incompletely but often incrementally. Does that make sense? Well, like, like God, God will never be incomplete. He will always give you the steps that you need, but he oftentimes gives that information incrementally. It's almost as if you and I are on a need-to-know basis when it comes to God. And we always feel like I need to know. And God's like, No, you don't. You're good. Just 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 live in the tension. Live in the, the tension of certain uncertainty. Everything will be fine. Live in that tension. Uh, I, just a couple years ago, it was, it was the summer of, of 2018, so about five years ago. And uh, up until that point, uh, my wife and I, in, in regards to ministry and, and being in ministry, we had always been on staff at a church somewhere. That was just the way that God had always used us. And so we got used to that. We got used to being on staff. We got used to kind of that environment. We got used to like the comfort of like things like a paycheck, <laughs> health insurance, you know, stuff that's kind of built in. And and in that summer, God just wrestling with our heart, and He was telling us, "You need to take a step of faith. You need to take a step of faith. You need to go f- full blown with this ministry, lead the generation. You need to go full blown with traveling and speaking. And you're just going to have to trust me." And and I'm looking at the bank account, and I'm just like, I don't, "How can I look? God, have you seen the numbers or the lack of numbers? <laughs> in like, how we basically had enough money for about a month." And, and and here we are, family of five, teenagers, dogs, you know, house mortgage, all this stuff. We're living actually in the Poconos at this point. It was before we had moved back to Pittsburgh in 2020, and um and we just were like, we got to do this. We don't, we don't understand, but we know God has spoken to us, and we want to be obedient to what He said. So August 2018, we just say, here we go, take the step of faith, and I'm like, we got enough money for like one month, and then we're just gonna see what happens, and then we're gonna just see how God whatever, and and um. So we watched from August of 2018, seven months in a row of financial miracles take place in our family. Month after month after month. I mean, just random stuff, random phone conversations, random, you know, like someone will walk up to you and give you, you know, like a check or something, just crazy stuff. In fact, I'll never forget this one. It was, um, it, was, it was the day after Thanksgiving in fall of 2018, right? It was Black Friday, do all the sales, right, all the shopping and everything. And so my wife says to me in the morning, she says to me, she's like, listen, I've been looking at all the sales online, and she says, I think that I can, I can do all of our Christmas shopping today for only $300. Okay, how many even you know that's a miracle in and of itself right there? Like, that's, right? And I'm like, I, I said to her, I was like, baby, that's amazing. But, like, honestly, we, we don't have the money. I don't need, I don't know what to say to you. Like, we, we literally can't do it, right? And and I'm kind of sad. She's kind of sad. A couple hours later, I walk out to the mailbox. I don't even know why. I don't even think they deliver mail on that day. I don't know. I walk out to the mailbox to check the mail, and, and I'm thinking about what my wife had just said, and I open up the mail, and, and, and there is a a blank envelope in there. No address on it, no return address, no postage, nothing. There's a blank envelope in there. I open it up, and in the mailbox is... $300 cash. I I am like I'm like oh my oh my I just start crying because that's what I do, right? I just cry. And I walk inside the house and I start telling like the you know the family what's going on and then, and then my wife starts crying and then the kids start crying, right? it's all of us together, right? We're at a little cry fest. That's how I know that God showed up, right? And 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 one of my kids is like 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 can I be in charge of checking the mail from now on? I'm like no, like I'm in charge of mailbox miracles in this house. Like that's just the way that I work, you know. Like I'm just saying, when you choose obedience over understanding, you actually make room for the miracle of God to take place in your life. You actually make room. You 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 know, Pastor Jim was walking me through some of the things that you have been going through as a church, 15 years of anniversary and celebrating in September, and then, then all the sermons from last month about inviting the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit. Even when invited to come into our setting, he can't do the work that he wants to do because we don't make room for it. And when you choose obedience over understanding, you're simply saying, God, I choose to do what you want me to do even if I don't understand it. It's it's like Peter when he was walking on water in Matthew 14. Right, he says to Jesus that night, the middle of the night, stormy waters, darkness. You know, twelve disciples in the boat. Jesus walking on water, and, and Jesus comes out. in the how in the world he's a ghost, which is crazy because they've they've been traveling with Jesus for like two years. So how in the world can they even think this? And Peter's like, if it's really you, tell me to walk on water, which I think is crazy. Like Peter's doing an identity check on Jesus, and that's what he's going to come. That's what he came up with, bro. I'm like if you really wanted to know if it's Jesus just be like Jesus if it's really you what's your last name? That would work. Right? He says tell me to walk on water, right? Right? And on all of a sudden Peter's out there experiencing this miracle. And what did Jesus say to him when when Peter asked that question? If it's really you tell me to walk on water. What's the one word that Jesus said in response? Anybody remember? Come. Come. That's it. Just one word, come. I don't know about you, but if I'm Peter and I'm trying to walk on water in the middle of the night in front of all of my friends. I'm going to need a little bit more information than just come. I'm, is, there, is there like a YouTube tutorial on water walking that I could go check out real quick? Do I need my swimmies on? Like, like what, you know? And, 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 and Peter just jumps out of the boat. One word. It's the same principle that you see in Abraham and Sarah's life. God speaks to them. Leave your country. Leave your household. Leave your family. And they're like, I'm coming. That's all I need. I got questions, but I'm still coming. I got doubts, but I'm still coming. I got some hurts, but I'm still coming. I've got some stuff I'm working working through, but I'm still coming. I might I might be coming in a sprint or I might be coming in a limp, but I'm still coming because Jesus, all you need to do is speak the word. Just one word, come, and I'm jumping out of that boat to do what you've called me to do. It's obedience over my understanding. Right? This this is what you learn, right? Right? Okay, now go back to the text real quick, real quick, because I want to get you to point number two here, right? Verse number nine and ten. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in, you forgot, your, you forgot your job, living in, along with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Okay, okay. They pack up their bags. The whole caravan, all the stuff, right? I mean, it's Abraham, it's Sarah, it's all the members of their household, which were not their children at this point. We'll unpack that in just a moment. But it would have been all of the people that work for them and all of their servants and all that, because they had great wealth, right? All of their possessions, all of their livestock, they pack and and they head out and they're just following. I mean, Abraham's just out there walking around and Sarah's just trying to be like happy wife and everything. And all of a sudden, Abraham's like, We're here. And if you're Sarah, you're looking around and you're like, what, what do you mean we're here? Like there's nothing here. And, and, and apparently Abraham's like, all right, so if you can set up the, uh, the master bedroom tent right over there, guys, just set that up over there. And if you're Sarah, you're thinking, Are, is, this, is this for real? Is this a joke? This is not happening, right? We just sold our beautiful dream home in Ur of Caldes, and here we are now living in the, the land of wilderness. We're going to live in tents. Like, like, like. Think about what they didn't see. Like, there's no Chick Fil A there. Oh Jesus, right? There's no Starbucks. There's no Target. There's, I mean, there's, it's nothing. There's no welcome home sign. There's no like keys to the city here. It's just, it's just we're going to live in tents. Here's, here's principle number two. If you're going to live. In a certain uncertainty, here's point number two. You have to choose calling over comfort. You have to choose calling over comfort. It is not always easy to do what God tells us to do. It is not always comfortable, right? Have you ever experienced that? Well, like, like, like oftentimes it's like, man, if, if I want to do what God wants me to do, it's going to involve actually the opposite of comfort. It's going to involve some discomfort. And, and, and if you're like me, Especially those you know you know if you're like an American like I am, you like you love your comfort, right? We want our food fast, we want our fame overnight, we want thirty pounds off in thirty days. <laughs> Oh Jesus, can we just have that one? Actually, that would be really great, right? We just we just love comfort. We, I mean, you know, and it comes to our society and our culture today, right? Right? We we would rather have a cheat sheet than a study guide. We'd rather have handouts than hard work. I mean, we just we, I just want it easy. I I want to fulfill destiny in my life, but can I get it at a discount? I don't want to have to pay the full price for anything at all. And we do the same thing when it comes to the fulfillment of God's word in our life. His promises spoken over us in His word. Can I get? the promises of God spoken for me or over me, but can I get those promises without having to go through the processes that God requires of me in order to receive said promises? Listen to me, friend. When Jesus Christ stretched out his arms on a cross, for the salvation of you and I, for the forgiveness of our sins, he shed his blood. He, he lived in the grave, he died, and then lived three days later, right? When Jesus did this, he didn't get us at a discount, he didn't get us on sale, he didn't find us in a flea market somewhere, he paid the ultimate price, the ultimate disruption of his comfort zone for your salvation and mine. We don't actually accomplish what God wants us to without the forsaking of our comfort zones. Abraham goes on. We we already know how the story ends. They didn't know. We know that Abraham becomes the father of our faith. We know that Abraham ultimately becomes the father of the Jewish nation, which ultimately brings in Jesus as the Messiah who provides salvation for all mankind, Jew and Gentile. Abraham doesn't know that. Sarah, they don't, they, don't, they don't have an understanding of this. They just know God's called us, and we be—we got to be faithful. This is going to be uncomfortable, but, but, but we got to do what God's called us to do, even if it stretches us a little bit. Do you ever feel like God stretches you? Do you ever feel like God's kind of like disrupting your comfort zone? I, I actually think that God chooses the right to disrupt your comfort zone or my comfort zone at a time and place of his choosing. When he just decides, I'm going to, I'm going to disrupt. You know what, God, here, here's, here, just let me give you, let me, let me camp here for just a second. I think God does this because God knows that the disruption of your comfort zone ultimately is what will provoke and produce growth in your life. Uh, my, my dad, you know, every parent has like their little phrases and maybe, maybe pastor's kids are a little different, but every parent has their little phrases. And one of the things that my dad used to say all the time was this, he would say, Aaron, he'd say, son, there's no growth in the comfort zone, but there's no comfort in the growth zone. He, he was trying to say to me that, that comfort and growth usually work against one another, and that if left up to me or you, typically I'll choose comfort versus growth. Right? And so God says, no, I'm going to disrupt your comfort zone because I need you to grow. I'm going to disrupt your comfort zone because I need to stretch you because I need to stretch you because I need to help you discover that there's a you in you that you haven't even met yet, right? There's someone in you that I'm trying to provoke out of you, and so I'm going to disrupt or dissolve your comfort zone in order to see that growth come forth if you will embrace the stretch that God has in your life right now, you'll turn into a stronger version of yourself. If you embrace the stretch, you'll overcome some of the fears that have held you captive for years. If you embrace the stretch, you'll become the kind of person that keeps the devil awake all night long, hoping that you'd actually go to bed and sleep a little bit. Listen, there's a you in you you haven't even met yet. You're not even the best version of yourself yet. There's a more peace-filled you and you. There's a more joy-filled you and you. There's a more hope-filled you and you. There's a more purpose-filled you and you. And God says, I'm provoking growth inside of you by disrupting your comfort zone. I, 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 I've lived this out many times in my life, but the, the one I'm thinking of is when I was, I was 18 years old. And I was doing an internship at my church. My dad was pastoring Bethel Assembly God on the north side in Pittsburgh at this, this time. And uh, he had signed up, me and him, uh, with a group of pastors, dozens of pastors from across the country, to go into Russia. Now, I'm dating myself again, but this was January of 1992. So this is, if you know your history, this is one month after the Soviet Union had collapsed. And when the Soviet Union, the USSR, collapses, right, the the doors, so to speak, are open for pastors and missionaries to come into the country and bring the gospel. So my dad signs us up for this trip, and I'm going to go with him and a bunch of other pastors. And so we're packing a couple days before the trip, and my dad walks into my room, and he hands me this massive Bible, right? You ever seen one of these huge Bibles, right? I mean, they're just, just huge. And he hands me this Bible. He says, hey, he's like, pack this in your bag. I'm like, what is it? He says, this is, this is a Russian study Bible. He said, and, and when we get into the country, you're going to have the opportunity to just give this away to one of the Russian pastors that we meet there that are leading underground churches, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. He says, listen, hang on. He says, listen, you kind got, of you have to hide this in your bag because what we're doing is kind of illegal. I'm, I look at him, and I just big smile. I'm like... We're gonna be Bible smugglers, you know. Like I just, I think this is gonna be so cool, right? And he's, he's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, so just hide it in your bag and everything. And, and, and we were, we were using like those old um, army, you know, canvas bag, uh, duffel bags. And so just open from one, the one top, right, the side, the top of it. And so he's like, just put it all the way in the bottom and put all your stuff on top of it, and then we'll, we'll be able to sneak it in that way. And, and, you know, and I'm 18, and I'm not incredibly bright, but I was bright enough. I'm thinking, and I'm like, so. So, Dad, like, so, like, what happens if they find it? He's like, ah, don't worry about that. It's fine. It's fine. I'm Like well no but seriously dad I'm just wondering like like what if they open what if they dump the whole bag that's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen I'm like dad am I the only one putting Bibles in my bag or is like are you doing this too like you know like have you seen Rocky Four you know what it's like there right I'm just like you know and 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 he's like like, I got a plan I got a plan I got a plan and this I kid you he says what he says to me he said here he said take these I'm not making this up take these Hickory Farm smoked sausages and put them right on the top of the bag. So when they open it up, that's the first thing that they see, he's like, I hear that the Russian soldiers really like hickory farm smoked sausages, and we can bribe them." there's no internet at this point. I do not know where this man is getting his information from it worked. I'm not even going to lie. We, the guy opened up the bag and he just smiled and I smiled and I handed him one and he closed it up. And we just got, I'm thinking, this is crazy. Like, I said, like <laughs> we get into the country. We're there for a couple days. And my dad says, he's, we're getting ready to go down to the basement of this hotel that we're staying in and, my, and meet with these Russian pastors that have been leading these underground churches because what they're doing is illegal in, you know, in communism. And Bibles were illegal for 70 plus years right at this point in history. My dad says, grab that Bible and take it down and give it to you know, one of the pastors, whichever one God leads you to. And uh, so halfway through the night, I just kind of lock eyes with this one Russian pastor, and I just walk up to him, and I just, I just hand him this Bible as a gift. Um, I, I am not prepared, as an 18-year-old kid, I am not prepared for this gentleman's response, because in my mind, I'm thinking, it's a Bible, right? Everyone, we got Bibles everywhere, right? You got them, we got them, just different translations, and just now we have them on our devices, we can listen to them, we can, I mean, we got them everywhere. I'm thinking it's just a Bible. When I hand him this Bible, as he reaches out to grab the Bible, his hands start trembling. And within a couple moments after holding the Bible, he thrust it into his chest and he's hugging it and he falls to his knees and he is visibly weeping now. And just, just like kind of like rocking back and forth on his knees. And I'm shocked by this response because in my mind I'm thinking, it's just a Bible. The interpreter comes over and and starts to interpret what this Russian pastor is saying. And here's what I remember. He says this, he says, he says, all of my life I only ever dreamed of the day that I would be able to hold an entire copy of God's word in my hands. He says, and now you have made this dream come true for me. And then he, re- I, he reaches in his Bible, and he pu- not in his Bible, he reaches into his jacket and he pulls out a page, one page of scripture. This isn't that page, this fell out of my Bible. But he pulls out a page of scripture and he holds it up to me and he says, all of my life. And I, Pastor, I've only ever had one page of scripture at a time. And I will read this, and I will memorize this, and I will study this. And once I have committed all of it to memory, then I will secretly trade my page with another Russian pastor and receive his page or her page. You want to talk about a disruption of your comfort zone as an 18 year old? You want to talk about an eye-opening experience where all of a sudden I started to view the value of God's word in my life in a much higher form than what I had viewed it as before? You know, one of the reasons why we get so comfortable and we stop growing is because we took this for granted right here because we assume that this was easy, that this didn't even mean much at all, because we have it in every version now, we have it in every translation, we have it on every device, we don't even have to take the time to read it, someone else will read it to us if we just press the button. Listen to me friend, don't tell me you love Jesus if you don't love this book. This is, I know I'm new. I know I'm like the new guy, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna preach it like God gave it to me, okay? Don't tell me you don't love Jesus if you don't love this book. This is Jesus in written form right here, right? And, and, and Some people, you know, we, we read the Bible, we're like, I don't know. I just, I don't understand. I read it and I don't understand it. Of course you don't understand it. It's the word of God, If you understood it all, you probably wouldn't even need God, would you? Well, I read it, and then sometimes I just forget, and I just don't even remember what I I don't. I don't remember what I had for breakfast last week, but I know it still nourished me, right? Oh, oh, I, I just, but sometimes I read God's word, and I just get so tired, and then I fall asleep. I have never once in my life with my children or my grandchildren yelled at them when they fell asleep in my arms as I was reading a book to them. Don't tell me you love Jesus if you don't love this book right here, right? And so for some of you, God is intentionally disrupting your comfort zone simply because he wants to promote growth, and he wants to promote that growth through, you're going to be done here, word. Okay, let me, let me go on. I want to give you these next two points, and then we're, then we're going to be done here, right? Right? Okay, so we're going to turn back to Genesis chapter 17, right? And And let me give you the context again really quick. Abraham is is 75 years old when this story starts, but his name is not actually Abraham. His name is actually Abram. The writer in Hebrews writes the story as if his name was already changed to Abraham, but his real name was just Abram. This text explains why God changes his name. Genesis 17, 1 through 6. When Abram was 99 years old, when did this story start? He was 75. So we're 24 years in. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, El Shaddai, a Jewish name. It also means the all-sufficient one. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Let's pause here for a second. This is God restating to Abram what God said to him 24 years earlier. Because if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when God told him to leave his household and his family and go to a place that I will show you, in that same text, it also says that God spoke to him and said, Abram and Sarai, you have no descendants or no children, but I'm going to give you countless descendants. They've been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled for 24 years. Did you ever feel like you're waiting on God? Just waiting, waiting. What God, when are you going to do it? When God, when are you going to do it? One of my preacher buddies says, says it like this. He says, God is the slowest guy around who's always right on time. <laughs> right? Okay, they've been waiting for 24 years. Now God's having this conversation with them again. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground, and then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. He's restating what he said 24 years earlier. What's more... I am changing your name. This is new information now. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, and your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. God's expanding now what he said to him 24 years later. Let's let's, me do some math real quick. Abraham is 75 years old when this whole thing starts. They're waiting for the promise, waiting for the promise, the promised heir, the promised descendant, right? 11 years into waiting, they decide, I think God forgotten about us. Come on, just be real with me. Did you ever feel that? I know what you said, God, but really? Because we've been waiting, we've been out here waiting for a long time. And so, Sarah, I'm not reading the passage to you, but this is back in Genesis, right? Sarah approaches, 11 years after waiting, Sarah approaches Abram and she says, I, listen, I got a plan. I feel like we probably just need to take things into our own hands because God has forgotten about us. And, and he's forgotten about his promise to give us an heir, to give us a descendant. So I, I kind of think we, we need to nudge the divine providence in this moment of God. And we need to kind of take things into our own hands. And so Sarah comes up with this idea. She says, you take my handmaiden, Hagar, and you sleep with her and produce an heir with her. And this is the way that we will actually fulfill the promise that God has, has given to us. And so she presents this plan to Abraham, you know, and, and Abraham, apparently, his response is like, oh, okay, baby, you want me to take one for the team, then I guess I'll just, you know, I'll just do it. And so he sleeps with Hagar, and they produce a son, not Isaac, but his name is Ishmael. Yeah, yeah. They get impatient. And then their imp- impatience leads them to impulsiveness, Right? Let, let me just help you here because I, there are times in life where we find ourselves waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises, yet we grow impatient in the process. What is impatience? I like to define it like this. Impatience is a self-imposed emotional torture when things don't happen as quickly as I assumed or wanted them to happen. Have you ever been there? Right, impatience speaks to my emotions, my feelings. Impulsiveness though speaks to my behavior that stems from the way that I feel. So impatience leads to impulsiveness and their impulsiveness leads to them producing Ishmael in their life and God's not happy about it because they didn't wait for him. But even though God's not happy about it, the grace of God is so sovereign and the promises of God are so yes and amen that even God doesn't cancel out the promise of Isaac because they got impatient and produced an Ishmael in the process right God's grace on your life God's sovereignty in this world says even if you get ahead of the process and you produce Ishmael's in your life, in your family, in your business, in your relationships. God's grace is so great that if he's given you a promise, he's still good to fulfill that promise for you and through you. This is what's happening here. And God says to Abram, he says, I got to do something, though. If I'm, if I'm going to produce an Isaac through you, I got to do something. I got to change your name. And so he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, we're almost done, brother, come on, join me at the keys, right, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, when I was a PK growing up in church in Sunday school, I was fascinated by this story, because, because this is what I was thinking, I was thinking, that's so cool, God added ham to this guy's name, and I was just like, I like bacon, that's almost like ham, this is really cool, like, I just, you know, (laughs) this is what I thought, just PK world, right, weird kid world, this is what we do, and, um, but as I studied the text, what I realized is that God didn't actually add the letters H A M to the end of his name, Abraham. He actually, right in the middle, he, he kind of spread it out. Kind of, kind of right, right in the middle of the name, Abram, kind of spread it out. And he added two letters, not three, two letters. A-H-A-A-H. Right? Right in the middle. And, and when you do that, then you you go from Abram to Abraham. Do you know what? ah or a h in hebrew means this is this is fascinating this this is going to deeply minister to some of you it means this it means breath of god this, this is god's way of showing you and i as he did with abram into abraham this is god's way of showing us that in order for him to produce his promises through us His own breath has to breathe life right into the center of who we are. And it's almost as if God is saying to Abram, he's saying, Abram, there are dead places inside of you that are not allowing you to produce what I have promised will be produced through you. But it's okay, because I'm going to breathe my life right into the center of who you are. I'm going to breathe life into the dead places of who you are. I'm going to breathe life into the places of you that haven't produced all of the godliness and all of the righteousness that I have called you or demanded you to. listen. God is breathing life into some of you right now in this moment. God's breathing life into dead dreams. He's breathing life into dead visions. He's breathing life into things that have been promised over you that you've been holding on to for years. He's breathing life into your prayer life, things that you've stopped praying that you know you should have never stopped praying. He's breathing life into you. I just speak it now prophetically over you. I speak over the dead places in your life. God's giving a new anointing in your life. I speak over the broken places in your heart, life church, fill places in your heart, God's saying, I'm breathing my life into you, real life church, I'm breathing my life into you, this shows us what point number three is, moving forward in a certain uncertainty means that I choose obedience over over understanding, and I choose calling over comfort, and number three, I choose anointing over ability, they had tried to do it on their own, and they produced an ishmael, And then God steps in and he says, now let me breathe life into you. One more point and we're done. And we're going to spend some time praying together this morning, right? Back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. And by faith. Everyone say faith. And by, come on a little bit louder. And by even Sarah who was past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise Sarah's 98 99 years old I mean come on just imagine the scenario she's 99 98 years old <laughs> and she's she's in the bathroom and she's looking at that little that little test stick you know <laughs> she's probably yelling what did you do to me? <laughs> Abraham getting up from his chair with his cane. I'm coming, baby, I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> all of a sudden a week later, she finds herself in the maternity section at Walmart. <laughs> and all the young girls are like, "Oh, are you buying something for your, your granddaughter?" And she's like, no baby, it's for me." <laughs> you know. But that takes great faith. Here, here's the last point. in certain uncertainty, I have to choose faith over fear faith over fear. There's no way that this is not a fearful moment for Abraham and Sarah. Even though they sense that God is fulfilling the promise that he spoke to them 25 years earlier, there's no way this isn't full of fear and apprehension and nervousness and anxiety and what's this going to look like and how is this whole thing going to happen. And when you when you feel that tension of certain uncertainty, one of the things that you are feeling in your heart and in your emotion and in your thinking is, am I going to choose to follow my fear or am I going to choose to follow faith? My wife and I youth pastored for almost 15 years, and we would take a lot of different students on missions trips around the world. And one of the things I found myself saying to our students again and again and again is is on this trip at some point, you will have a collision of your fear and your faith. And I would say this to them. I would say, "Don't, don't pray that God would remove your fear in order for you to be faithful. Pray that God would make your faith stronger than your fear in order for you to be faithful. I I, I learned that in my own life. A couple months after we got back from that trip when I was 18, that was January. Several months later in May, we went back again, this time with my youth pastor and with a team. And uh, we would go, we went all the way into Siberia. We went into this town in Siberia called Krasnoyarks. And every day we would get up and we would go to a different school And we would go into a school and do a gospel presentation. Sometimes it was a school assembly with all the students, and sometimes we would just go classroom to classroom. About halfway through the trip, one night my youth pastor came to me, and he said, Aaron, tomorrow the team is going to split up, and we're going to go hit about a dozen different schools all at the same time. So it's going to be you and these other two team members on our team. You're going to be in charge. I'm 18." He says, you're going to be in charge. You're going to go to that school with an interpreter, and you're going to share the gospel with every student in this school. Like, woo. So we show up at this school, and they, this school decided to take us classroom to classroom to classroom all day long, just another classroom, get up, 15, 20-minute presentation, share the gospel, pray with students, go to another classroom, go to another classroom. And, and we're doing it, but, man, I'm, I'm battling my faith and fear the entire time. We get done with the last presentation in the last classroom, and I gotta be honest, I'm kind of excited in this moment that we're almost done, right, right? I'm, I've been faithful, but I'm my fear is still very strong. We get done sharing the gospel with this classroom, and we're getting ready to leave. And the teacher that had been escorting us around the school that day, she comes over, she grabs my arm, and through the interpreter she says, across the hallway in an empty classroom is a young girl. She's 14 years old, her name is Olga. And she said, Olga was born with a, with a physical deformity on her back and her neck. She, she's, she's hunched over. She, she looks very awkward because of the deformity. She, she's constantly uh, in a lot of pain. Um, she, most days, she cannot even walk. Um, and unfortunately, all of the other students in the school make fun of her because they just don't understand what has happened to her. And so she has a lot of emotional issues as well. And she's telling me this whole thing. And then she says this to me. She says, so... If the God that you just told my students about in this classroom is real, go heal her. You want to talk about a collision of fear and faith right now. I'm like, whew. she didn't really even give me a choice. She, she, she had a hold of my arm. She just kind of drugged me across the hallway, me and my other two team members and the interpreter. And we walk into this classroom and there's this little 14-year-old girl named Olga and she's sitting off in the corner. The room's kind of dimly lit. We kind of walk up to her. We start talking with her through the interpreter and the teacher's like, okay, pray, heal her, heal her, pray, pray for her. I think the teacher had more faith than I did at this point, right? And so we start praying for this little girl named Olga. And I I don't know if you've ever been in a moment, maybe in a church service here on a Sunday morning or in another setting, have you ever been in a moment where you just felt the presence of God just kind of (sighs) like, you ever, you ever had that, you know, where you're just like, man, God is, is here in this moment and, 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 you know me, like I'm, I'm kind of like, thank you, you know me, I'm I'm kind of like the guy who like the moment I feel and sense the, the presence of God that way, I just start crying, hence the tissues, thank you so much, right, right, and so I just start crying because I'm like, oh man, God is here, right, and then the other team members start crying, and then we start praying for Olga, and then she starts crying, and I'm just like, man, we got four people crying, God has shown up in this room right now, right, and, and we get done praying. She said, I felt this warm sensation from the top of my head, all the way down my back, all the way through my my legs. She and she says this. She says, I think the God that you just prayed to has healed me. I I'm this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, like, oh baby, I was rubbing your back when I was praying for you. Like, I just, you know, like I'm just like, you know. And then she says this. She says, she said, so I think that because the God you just prayed to healed me, I probably should try to stand up and walk around the classroom right now. I'm I'm thinking, this is a bad idea. This is a really bad. I wanted to do one of those hit and run prayers. You know what I'm talking about? Where well, you just pray real quick and then you leave before you even know whether anything happened because you're like, I'm good. Just shoot me a text and let me know. Right? Right? She gets up and she starts walking around the room she's crying now the teacher's crying now we're all crying right i'm just thinking like oh my goodness this simple moment of faith just being slightly stronger than fear has has allowed room for the holy spirit to produce a miracle in this young girl i i had almost forgotten the story 10 years later i'm i'm now a pastor I'm 28 years old. I am sitting in one of our annual Pe- State of Pennsylvania Assemblies of God, you know, meetings, District Council, they call it, right? I'm sitting there, and, and there's a missionary up there preaching by the name of Bob Hoskins, and he starts talking about how when, when communism fell in the Soviet Union and the gates were open, missionary groups started going into the country, and they started going everywhere, and he started talking about, you know, one, one year we had a group go all the way into Krasnoyarsk, Siberia, I'm like, oh, that's we went there. That's pretty cool. We went there. He says, and they went and they would go school to school and share the gospel. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's what we did too. He says, one day they ran into a little girl named Olga. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, that happened to us. Then I'm thinking, it's Russia. Every other girl's name is Olga. Like, just relax, hold. Like it's okay. Right? start talking about 14 year old Olga with with birth defects and all these issues and how on that day she not only received a partial healing from her physical challenges and deformity but more importantly she received a healing of the heart when she found faith in Jesus Christ as her savior and then he ends the story like this he holds up a picture of Olga, and he says, this is Olga now, 10 years later, who is the leading missionary spreading the gospel in this part of the world. I go up to him afterwards, like tears down, like, I mean, I'm just, saying. He, he gives me this picture, and he's just like, he's like, God used you to do that. How does that happen? It happens when you choose obedience over understanding, when you choose calling over comfort, when you choose his anointing over your ability, and when you choose faith over fear. What is faith? Faith is not a good feeling. Faith is not optimism. Faith is not good vibes. I'll quote Dr. Tony Evans here. He says, "'Faith is when you and I act like "'everything God said in his word is true, even when we don't feel it, that means that I simply act upon it. I say, I'm not, I might not be feeling this. I actually might be feeling fear, but I'm going to act in faith. That's how I move forward in a certain uncertainty. I move forward with my faith. I move forward with my faith placed in the Word of God. I move forward knowing that the Word of God says greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I move forward knowing the Bible says my enemy might come at me one way, but he'll flee seven ways. I move forward in faith because I know the Bible says no weapon formed against me will prosper. I move forward by 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 I move forward by faith.